Matthew chapter 28. The title of my message is this, A New Day Dawning. A New Day Dawning. And that's from verse 1. That's our text, verse 1 of chapter 28. Look at it with me again. In the end of the Sabbath, we'll have more to say about that in a moment. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, the dawning of the new day that I want to speak to you about, I want us to think about, had already taken place, the dawning that, I, that I'm thinking of. It was already over because the sun had already risen, S-O-N, the son of God. These women had watched Joseph put the body of Christ in this tomb. In Luke's account, you need not turn there, but he, he gives us a little more, uh, considering what he said about this, a little more detail. Luke 23, And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices because it was the preparation the day before the Sabbath they couldn't do that on the Sabbath day, so they go, they go and prepare these spices, planning to come back with them uh, after the Sabbath to anoint the body of Christ. They prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. But that new day that had already dawned made those things unnecessary. There was no body to prepare. They, need, they didn't need the spices or the ointment to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. As the prophet said, Malachi, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And oh, how he has. <laughs> that was the glorious news this angel told these women that came to the tomb Early that morning, before the sun ever rose, they said to them again, verse 5, here in Matthew 28, The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I, have told, for I know that ye, ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. A new day is dawned. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. Christ's new day. The dawning of Christ's day. In everything he must have the preeminence. And if it wasn't for his rising, his resurrection, we would not have one. Not in this life, when he opens our eyes to newness of life. And in the life afterwards, eternal everlasting life. The same marvelous time that we speak of here in our text. The psalmist wrote about in Psalm 118. I know it applied to David, what we're about to read, but it applied more so to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I refer to these verses in Psalm 118. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. God did this. It's marvelous in our eyes. We just look, we just watch. But, it, oh, it's the Lord that did this. This is the day. This is the day, especially 
especially this day of our Lord's resurrection. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And again, as I said, I know those words applied to David, the son of Jesse, the shepherd boy, but it was God's anointed. David was God's anointed. David was God's chosen. He was Israel's future king. Saul didn't like that, did he? Because Saul was king. And Saul did everything in his power, because he was still on the throne at the time. He did everything in his power to stop this. He, he, he on more than one occasion, tried to have David killed. But God's purpose was that David sat on the throne. And that being so, when we read something like this, God himself declares from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done saying, this is God. My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Hmm. That kind of puts the nail, hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? That being so, we should not be at all surprised to read, despite everything that Saul did to prevent it, David ascended the throne as Israel's king. Again, Psalm 118, the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Oh, but children of God, behold, a greater than David is here. <laughs> our Lord applied these very words from the Psalms to himself. These words in Psalm 118 speak also of David's son and David's Lord, Jesus Christ. The religious leaders, the builders, the builders. They refused this stone, this foundation that God had laid. We don't need you. How often did they throw that in the face of Christ? We don't need you. Who do you think you are? We know who your parents are. We know your brothers and your sisters. You're nobody. We be Abraham's children. Who needs you? Pilate. Pilate asked them, What shall I do with Jesus? And again, the builders. The priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious folks, the builders cried, Away with him. Give us Barabbas. Give us that murderer. Give us that rebel. We won't have this man, that is Christ, rule over us. Crucify him. Away with him. Mm. The stone which the builders refused. Luke, again, in his account, tells us this. They, the builders were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him, that is Barabbas, that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Now, it would be easy to digress here. On those few words, delivering Jesus to their will, the so-called free will of man, what was the will? What was their will concerning the Son of God? Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Oh, but as we read in Psalm 118, once again, the stone which the builders refused, it's become the headstone of the corner anyway. This is the Lord's doing. This is the day. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And this is that day that we read of in our text, that glorious dawning as the angel declared to those women. Look at verse 5 again. Fear ye not, for I know you seek Jesus, which was crucified. 
He is not here. He is not here. He's risen. Oh, what a dawning that was. What a day that was. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He's not here. He was here. But he's not here anymore. Not anymore. Why? Because the stone which the builders refused, that is Jesus Christ, is become the headstone of the corner. How was that so? This is God's doing. God has exalted his son. This is exactly what we read in Psalms 2. Why do the heathen rage, David wrote, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. They stand against the Lord. They must be blind fools. Let us break their bands asunder. That's exactly what they thought they were doing. And cast away their cords from us. He that setteth in the heavens shall laugh. <laughs> Does that sound like that God was caught off guard? <laughs> Does it sound like that God was concerned? Does it sound like that all they did, all their plotting and all their conniving, did it make a lick of difference in the purpose of God? God used their very treachery to accomplish his will. He that setteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet, 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 despite all that the builders tried to do, yet have I set my king, King Jesus, upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This is God speaking to Christ. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me. And I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. And the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. The purpose of God. The glory of God. And the salvation of the people God entrusted into his son's hands. Depends upon this day of our Lord's resurrection. These words spoken to Joseph before Jesus was ever born, while he was still in the womb of his mother. Mm. When, our, when the angel told Joseph, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now think about this. All those glorious things. Did he? Did he? Did Christ save his people from their sins? Did Jesus Christ accomplish? Now, I, I hear preaching all the time. I wouldn't get out of bed to listen to it. Men that say Christ tried to do something. But before it is successful, it depends on what you do with it. Ah, so don't call that good news. That's, a lie. That's telling lies on God. <laughs> Did Jesus Christ accomplish those great and, this great and glorious work? Was he successful? How can we be sure that God accepted the sacrifice when Christ offered himself without spot to God? How do we know God was pleased with it? How do we know it satisfied God? How do we know that God was satisfied with the atonement that Jesus Christ didn't offer to you and me, but he offered to God Almighty, his Father? The fact that God was satisfied with that offering, that atonement, that it accomplished everything it was intended to accomplish, such as putting the way of the sins of all those whose sins he bore in his own body on the tree. 
in satisfying the holy justice of God. And remember, if this was not done when Christ died, none will be saved. Because God will not have righteous grounds on which then, by which he is enabled to justify a sinner. Now here's the proof. Oh, thank God. Here's the proof. Here's the evidence that all those most important things were accomplished. God showed his everlasting satisfaction. Everlasting satisfaction. This Savior, this Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ is still a sweet-smelling odor in the nostrils of the holy God. And he said, mm, I'm well pleased. I told you about the dear brother in a little church I pastored for a couple of years back in West Virginia, Brother Waldo Arthur. When I would call upon him to pray, when we would observe the Lord's Supper, he would speak of the sacrifice of God's Son. And he said, Father, you're satisfied with it, and we're satisfied with it. <laughs> it is well with our souls. The proof, the evidence that God accepted the sacrifice of his Son was by him raising him again from the dead. If he wasn't, Christ would still be in the tomb. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the what? Separated unto the gospel of God. Ain't too many preachers can say that today, are <laughs> Not a, there's a lot that can separate it to everything else, but not the gospel. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared, set forth, proclaimed, to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, how? By the resurrection of the dead. Observe, observe how the language there in Romans 1 and 3 changes. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. But he wasn't made or proven to be the son of God according to the flesh. Oh no, but by the raising of his son from the dead, declared, proved to be what he always was, the son of God. The son of God. We've heard people refer to Mary as the mother of God. Those people that do all this mumbo jumbo, especially... Oh, no, she wasn't the mother of God. <laughs> she was the mother of Jesus Christ according to the flesh. Oh, but he was the son of God from everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Paul puts it this way. How satisfied was God with what his son did upon the cross? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is Christ. Made himself of no rep reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, like his brethren. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Was God pleased with it? Sounds like he was. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that that was the reward of Christ's success. That would not have been so if he had failed. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. There are no exceptions to that rule. Every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I realize I've told you this story before, but I think it's a good illustration. If a prince was sent out by his father, the king, to defend the kingdom against an approaching enemy, and days went by and that prince never returned, Weeks went by and he still didn't return. Everyone would, would assume that he had failed, that he was overcome. Oh, but if he succeeded, his very return was evidence of it. The fact that God raised his son, the captain of our salvation, back to glory is evidence that he succeeded. <laughs> he said he did. It is finished, finished. Glory to God. These words spake Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou didst send. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished... I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And you, this is in Galatians, and you, chapter 2, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. This same Jesus, this is what Peter preached to those on the day of Pentecost. Jesus has God raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, exalted, the stone which the builders refused has made the headstone of the corner. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you, you now see and hear. Therefore, that all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You ever hear folks, religious folks, <laughs> speak about making Jesus Lord? Oh, you made your decision for Jesus, but have you made him Lord of your life? Someone said, oh, it's too late. God made him Lord, proved him Lord when he raised him from the dead. John said, I saw him on the Isle of Patmos. I was out there alone, cast out for the gospel's sake. Oh, but while I was there, I saw him, the risen, reigning, exalted Lord. And he said, I am he that liveth. I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and hell. Oh, up from the grave he arose. All the consequences of his resurrection. With a mighty triumph o'er his foes, he arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the dawning of a new Note, if you will, for a moment, we said we would come back to it. Again, verse 1 of Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, 
in the end of the Sabbath. Well, that might that means more than we might at first suppose. Believers have entered into the rest with Jesus Christ, who is our Sabbath. He fulfilled the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Christians observed no Sabbath. There's no such thing as a Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath was on Saturday anyway. We gather on the Lord's Day. And this is the reason. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It's evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. <laughs> Aren't you? All the law could do is condemn. All the law can do is demand perfection, but it won't lift a finger to give it to you. Oh, no, no, no. For that we must look elsewhere. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Free from the law. Oh, that's a happy state to be in, isn't it? Free from the law, oh, happy condition. Jesus had bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, grace had redeemed us once for all. Here's the second thing. Another dawning. Because Christ had his, his people have their new day dawning. Oh, there is such a union be between Christ and his church what he did was as if they did it in him. This is what Paul said. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. It's pointless. It's useless. It accomplishes nothing. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you're yet in your sins. There's no hope. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. But Paul sweeps all of those things away, all of those conditional ifs when he says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. <laughs> now! And become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all those who are in Christ shall be made alive. Only a living Savior can give life to dead sinners. New, everlasting life. This is what he said himself, didn't he? In John chapter 5, verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall what? Live. Live. I pass by thee when you were polluted in your own blood. And I said, live. Live. It was a time of love, and we found out that God loved us with an everlasting love when he came to us and gave us life. Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Even so, even so, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ, with Christ, and have raised us up together and made us set together, together, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. An old hymn writer 
expressed it this way better than I'm trying to do. He said, Betwixt Jesus and the chosen race subsists a bond of sovereign grace that hell with its eternal train shall never dissolve nor rend in twain. This sacred bond shall never break. Though earth should, be, though earth should from her center shake, rest, rest doubting saint, assured of this, for God has pledged his holiness. One in the tomb, one when he rose, one when he triumphed o'er his foes, one when in heaven he took his seat, while seraphs sang all hell's defeat. This sacred tie forbids their fears, for all he is and has is theirs. With him their head they stand or fall, their life, their surety, and their all. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Nevertheless, I live. Because Jesus Christ came to where I was. He came to where I was. A dead sinner. Among all other dead sinners, he came to where I was, and he, by mighty grace and power, said, Live, live. What happened? God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the knowledge of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank God that for that light that shined through the darkness and showed us Jesus Christ. Oh, was that not a dawning of a new day for you? What a day. What a day. When Christ revealed himself to you, old John Bunyan said, I could have told the crows. I wanted to tell someone. I almost was tempted as I walked home after God had spoken peace to my soul, so to tell the crows sitting out there on the plowed field what God had done for me. Spurgeon said when he left that primitive chapel that morning that he wanted to shout to every snowflake falling from the sky what God had done for his soul. Hmm. Didn't you? Didn't you? <laughs> oh, my soul, can it be? Can it be? Has he forgiven me? Has Jesus Christ forgiven all my sins? Is it true that I am his and he is mine? Can it be so? Almost too good to believe. But by his precious grace, he convinced us, convinced us that it was so. Paul, referring to those heroes of the faith, that Roll call of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In, first th in verse 13 he said this, These all died in faith. Yes, we live by faith, but we will die in faith. Once we believe, we can never stop believing. God's, or faith, rather, is a gift of God that he will never repent of. He will never take back. Verse 13 of Hebrews 11, These all died in faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's what we just heard David saying. I'm just a poor, wayfaring pilgrim. I'm just traveling through this world. This world is not my home. We, like Abraham, are strangers and pilgrims on this earth, and thank God it's so. I don't want to fit in, do you? 
This world hates God. This world is under condemnation. This world's going to hell. I don't want to fit into this world. Thank God, as he told his disciples, you're not of the world. You're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. And the reason is, I've chosen you out of the world. Oh, God, give us grace to remember that. <laughs> I, uh, I ran across this the other day, and I thought it was so very good. Let me share a portion of it with you. It's by old J.C. Philpott. I thought this is so timely. He said, if you, are at, if you are at home in the world, that was the title, if you are at home in the world, he wrote, if you possess the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you, like them, confess that you are a stranger, and your confession springs out of a believing heart and a, and a sincere experience. You feel yourself a stranger to this ungodly world, don't we? It is not your element. It is not your home. You're in it during God's appointed time, but you wander up and down in this world, a stranger to its company, a stranger to its maxims, a stranger to its fashions, a stranger to its principles, a stranger to its motives, a stranger to its lust and its inclinations, and all in which this world moves as in the, its native element. Grace has separated you by God's sovereign power that though you are in the world, you are not of the world. And he said this, I can tell you plainly, if you are at home in the world, if the things of time and sense are your element, if you feel one with the company of this world, the maxims of this world, the fashions of this world, and the principles of this world, grace has not reached your heart. The faith of God's elect does not dwell in your bosom. Mm, mm. Oh, I can think of many I wish was here to hear that. Oh, God's elect by his grace are made new creatures in Christ Jesus and the grace in us is as effectual as the grace of God in the things he's done for us. Is that not so? Is that not so? Thank God that grace has made us to differ, that has made us new creatures in Christ Jesus so that we can now say from our heart in truth, old things are passed away. Behold, a new day has dawned. Everything has become new. Will you bear with me while I read this poem, The Touch of the Master's Hand? Several, several verses, and I wanted to eliminate one, but I couldn't I couldn't find one that would that I could take out that would it would break the break the whole song. It was battered and scarred and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while. To waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars. Who shall make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice. Going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin, and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, who'll make it two? Two thousand, who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, we do not quite understand. What changed the worth? Swift came the reply, 
the touch of the master's hand. And many a man, many a man with a life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going, and he's almost gone. He's almost gone. But, but the master comes. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. (laughs) Thank God for the touch of the master's hand. Last of all, last of all, there's another day yet to dawn. We spoke about the dawning of Christ that day, our day, when he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But there's another day yet to dawn. There's another day God's people, pilgrims or strangers, are looking forward to. It's sort of a combination of those two others. And I'm not talking about a 24-hour day. When this day dawns, it will be forever. <laughs> when, the, when the sun arises on this day, it'll never go down again. The dawning of this day is what our Lord spoke of in John 17. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou gavest me. Before time was, While time rolls on, and when time shall be no more, Christ lives, the great I am, and his people will will live with him forever. Genesis, we read, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He walked with God and just walked right into glory. Someone said, Come up, Enoch. It was as if God said to Enoch, Come up and spend the night. And he never came back <laughs> because there's no night there. It will be that glorious day when Christ shall present his bride, his church, back to his father without a spot or a blemish and say, Father, I am the children that thou hast given me. I lost none. That day that David spoke of when he says, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. There will be no more time. Time shall be no more, and there shall be no more death either. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb, the Lamb is the light thereof. Oh, what a day, what a dawning. And there shall be no night there, 
and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that's going to be. There'll be no more sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting, no more, no more parting over there. And forever we will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon the face of the one who saved me by his grace. And he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and shall come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Amen, amen. 